I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. Happy Saturday matinee to you gentlemen, Steve, Andy. Good morning. Good morning. Dealing my morning phrase, Andy. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning is is your phrase, (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) Dang it. I don't get to go first on anything on this show. (laughs) Oh, you you found the loophole this morning. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Wow, what a week. Right? With the movie drama. Here we go. First of all, California is on fire, which is unreal. Uh, given the true tragedy in the South and East. Uh, and now, I mean, this, these are my old stomping grounds. Uh, I, I really deepest thoughts uh, with folks who are affected in, in uh, Northern California uh, by the fires. It's really, it's, it's a horrible spectacle going on up there. And Harvey Weinstein. Oh, wait. So here, here's, here's the segue you need, Beat, on Deadline.com. The dumpster fire that is the Harvey Weinstein scandal will continue to burn a while longer. 
Everything's burning in California. I, deep, I, I was actually going for something like that, but now that I hear it written out, it's it doesn't play. Oh. <laughs> I take it back. I regret that I even thought about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, boy, when this guy torpedoes himself, he goes big. Just like his career. Yeah. Do we have, uh, are there kind words left to say of Harvey? <sighs> I don't think anybody liked him before. He did a nice edit on Cinema Paradiso, you know, a, a while back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many How many movies did he re-edit and well, ruin, theoretically? He, he re-edited one and made it better, apparently, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of a uh, I mean, you know, I will say that that uh, the Weinsteins did have a good handle on kind of a, a different direction for the industry. And, you know, having uh, some of the great stuff that came out of Miramax, I think, was nice. And I think they've struggled with um, the Weinstein company since they shifted to that. But um, boy, with all of this, it's just I mean, his name is tainted. People are saying that uh, Wind River might lose all chance of getting any Oscar nominations because of it, because it was under the brand. Uh, people are trying to figure out what to do with um, uh, The Current War, the other big Weinstein movie that was going to be pushed this fall for Oscar contention. Um, now they're like, well, do we release it or do we have to shelve it for a year or so or sell it to another company? It's crazy. It is a, just a, a, you know, it's it's amazing how many layers his um his scandal has wrought across uh, the industry with people who largely um you know weren't involved in that it's just horrifying and i i don't know where do, where do you stand on the uh um people who were quiet for too long trope oh well yeah it's like matt damon and ben affleck have just been like sucked into this negative whirlpool here of because they were you know i mean that was really their career built on that and it's just, yeah, I, it, it's one of those things where there's so many people saying you were involved so long with Harvey. How did you not see? How did you not know that this was going on? Or was it just, you know, the, it's easier to, to look away to, to have a, well, yeah, he's sort of a, maybe he pushes limits, but I'm just going to, you know, look the other way. Maybe not knowing some of the worst things. But being aware somewhat of, you know, uh, he's that kind of guy. It, it's it's a, it's a really challenging position for, I think, them both to be in, and a lot of people. I mean, I think Kev, Kevin Smith came out, you know. A lot of people. With a statement, but it's just, yeah. Again, it's one of those, it doesn't surprise anybody. And that's the shock, you know, that's the thing. If, well, if nobody was surprised, why did it take so long? Well, and people on both sides knew, and they all had their mouths shut, like, Ben Affleck came out and said something and Rose McGowan, who apparently was somebody who had been harassed, you know, she fired right back at him because, you know, she knew that he knew. And, he, you know, it's just like all of these things. It's like it's 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 just kind of releasing a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that had been bubbling under. And it's 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 all coming out now. And it's it'll be uh, it'll be a rough time, I think, for a lot of people in the industry. I think it's it, it's one of those things. I have a hard time blaming those who knew and didn't come forward uh, for for any number of reasons. But I, I certainly recognize that 
you know, what happens in a state of trauma is, you know, the, the fear that goes along with it, um, the, the, that you can't imagine that this happened, that it feels like another reality, that it's, it, you don't want to come forward alone, that, um, you know, it didn't happen to me, even though I knew it happened, it didn't happen to me, it's not my place, like, the, the, the sort of feelings and emotions that come along with dealing with post-trauma events, uh, in, including sexual assault, uh, is, is incredibly complicated, right? It's something that you just, you can't just say, she right. should have come forward yeah. sooner um, it, it, and and do that with a sense of judgment or blame. I, I just don't think that's fair. Uh, and in this case, I, I feel like we needed um, an, an instigator like, you know, like Rose McGowan, who has taken the, the lion's share of, um, you know, sort of praise and public punishment for the way she has handled this. But we needed somebody, you know, who was willing to start the the avalanche, uh, so to speak, and, and, you know, create a space where people are at least less fearful about coming out and speaking for themselves because they know they're not alone. That That's what, what probably needed to happen as horrible, horrible as it is. It went on decades too long. He should have been caught and ousted years ago. I get that. But I also feel a great deal of compassion for the people who who were struggling because they feared for their, you know, their really fragile careers. I mean, these people are stars now, but careers in Hollywood are enormously fragile. So I, I get it. Like, I get it. We, I think we need to cut these folks a little bit of a break. Yeah. Well, Bruce McGowan, had, I think it was like last year or a couple of years ago, had, you know, spoken about sort of, you know, sexual harassment and abuse in Hollywood and hadn't named names, but said, you know, it happened to her and women need to have the the strength and, and unify to come out and start standing up for these things. So when this story broke, you know, I was not surprised to see her name attached because I know it's something that she has been very passionate about that, you know, things need to change and women cannot yeah. let themselves be subjected to this for fear of, you know, the impact on their career. Absolutely. And and you have, I mean, people who have become real firebrands for this. Mika Brzezinski had a three-book deal with Hatchet, which is the, um, you know, his brand, uh, his book company. Uh, and it, she pulled the deal, uh, mostly because as soon as it was announced, apparently she said, don't go for press on this thing. I'm not ready. I don't want this, you know, I don't want to, we signed the contract, but I don't want you to do anything. He immediately rushed to page six and said, we've got a three book deal with Mika Brzezinski. Uh, and then this comes out, she pulled the deal until the company was reorganized and he was taken off the charter. Like he's, he's out of Hachette now and uh, it's been reorganized. There are some women in leadership there and she's, she's back on it. But she, has been sort of uh, loudly beating the blame drum. Why haven't you come out sooner? And and I just I think that's really uh, that's a tough line to to hold for too long. These are people who who uh, obviously struggled with their decisions. So um, it, it probably is happening the way uh, it was supposed to happen to build up enough momentum against this guy. I mean he's he was for good or ill executive producer behind three hundred thirty one titles. Like he, that's, he has, he's, he's the giant boulder in the indie cave, you know? I mean, he's just a, he's a, a powerhouse or was. Yeah. So, anyway. it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with the, the company, uh, with, with their future movies, with uh, just any future work, if they're going to have to close the company or sell the company or rebrand the company. It's curious. 
I heard rebranding. I heard I I got that, but they're seriously thinking about a dissolution. Well, I guess now that I'm reading a little more, um, I guess um, Bob ended up coming out after that report saying that um, they were uh, going to either sell or shutter the the company. But now he said, um, "No, that's not true. Uh, we're not exploring that, but we are trying to figure out a plan." So I'm not sure if that was something that they'd considered and somehow it got out or or what but they you know obviously there's just there's a lot of decisions that have to be made right now so we'll see how how it goes uh is that the only is uh wind river the only thing in theaters right now that they're concerned about uh well the of their big films it was yeah. the, the wind river and um uh then the one that's coming out later in the year the the current war that's the one yeah, that yeah. they're they're really at a loss for what to do because it's uh um <laughs> because it's it's a big Oscar, you know, push for them. But, you know, now people are saying, you know, if we push that with the Oscars, it's going to um, make people think about this and it's going to lose all of its chances. So no one's really quite sure what's going to happen. I mean, I think all the right. other one that was just out was Tulip Fever, but I don't think that really got much of a, a release. No, I yeah, I don't think so either. I, I don't actually, I mean, I, I think it was here for a week. Yeah, that uh, disappeared pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, what else is on your list? Do we want to talk uh, box office? Yeah, it's been, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's been a, a huge uh, box office right now. Uh, I think, uh, you know, they had, it was four movies open this past weekend. It was Happy Death Day, The Foreigner, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman and Marshall. Um, Happy Death Day uh, actually did a great job for its Thursday night previews. Um, it didn't do as well as it did, but it did do better than... Uh, Ouija origin of evil evil which uh which opened same time last year um yeah it got a million dollars during its preview so that's that's a good start for kind of that silly comedy horror that they're going for and it seems like the crowd has been kind of looking for that um the foreigner had gotten that's jackie chan's new one that's gotten really bad reviews so i don't know if that's gonna really last at all unless that makes me so sad well but you gotta look at a lot of jackie chan films like how many of them got good reviews i don't know if people go to jackie chan movies for the reviews i think they go to watch jackie chan fight yeah so that's the problem because i think he's he was just on npr the other day and he says you know i think i'd like to do a drama i'm not sure that's a great idea (laughs) maybe step away from that one yeah, maybe not, Jackie. Maybe not. Um, but you know, it's it's one of those um, those times right now. I mean, it is certainly still uh, really popular in theaters. Unfortunately, I think Blade Runner has been um, not doing as well as people were expecting it to, considering the reviews. But it's certainly one that we all love, and I think we're all still hoping that it's going to end up um, uh, finding its uh, finding its place. Uh, has it aged well with you guys? I, I can't stop thinking about it, and I really want to go check it out again. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. I'm just trying to look at my calendar to see where where can I fit this in before it, because I'm concerned about it starting to leave theaters because it's, you know, box office, if the audience isn't there, there's more stuff that's going to start filling up those spots. And it was such a tremendous experience. I, I want to catch it one more time on a, a really nice size screen because there's so much to it. I feel like I really need to go back and I'm with Andy. It's just sort of stuck in my brain and I can't stop thinking about that whole story. 
Me too. Absolutely. It's it's just beautiful. And I, uh, you know, I, I found myself going so far as like downloading a bunch of the my favorite stills from the film and making them my computer's desktop wallpaper. Like, I can't stop thinking about the imagery. Uh, and uh, it's it is absolutely worth seeing. I you know, I sat down, I had the opportunity to sit down with JJ and another friend uh, over dinner a couple of nights ago. And, and um, he said that he finally sat down and watched the original uh, Blade Runner. And his response, it, it surprised me because I expect everybody who sees Blade Runner to say that they loved it. <laughs> and it I find I get my feelings a little bit hurt when they don't. <laughs> right. and, and, and he said, uh, his response was, yeah, I can see why people love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that's the most backhanded compliment of the movie I have ever heard. Exactly. Well, that, even the- <laughs> I can see why people say they like your shirt, too. Doesn't make it Versace. <laughs> well, I, I think it it is with with both of them. It's the challenge of the sort of the tone of the film. As even I mean, the first one, the original, is more action oriented, but not really till the the last act. And so it is one of these uh, just explore the setting. You know, it's it's really about that atmosphere and. You get that, and I think if people are expecting something more and not understanding, this is just a film that takes you slowly through the setting along this these stories. Yeah, when you say, "Oh my gosh, it's this this sci fi classic," depending on what some of their other sci- favorite science fiction films are, they can have some you know a range of expectations. So if you're thinking, "Oh, it's going to be it's Harrison Ford in the '80s," it's going to be like thrilling adventure like indiana jones in the future and and that's not what it is so i i think you know he needs to now he's seen it once let it sit come back maybe in six months and then we can start having real conversations about about that with him yeah Yeah, well now he's going to go see 2049 and i know he wants to see it on the big screen which i think is to its credit uh, and so hopefully that will improve things for him. But I think he's on, you know, we had some other folks who said uh, in Slack chat, I think even Ben Lott was one of them who said um, that, um, you know, he wasn't a huge fan of the original. Therefore, there's a good chance that 2049 will be better uh, for him. And again, for me, those films ended up numbers four and five on my all time top favorite flick chart list. They're really solid films. And uh, definitely it's it's one that's worth seeing in the theater. It's just it's a really great one. So I, I hope more people get out and see it. As it stands, I think that the the box office predictors out there are um, thinking that Happy Death Day is actually going to beat it at the box office this weekend, which is a real surprise because everybody was kind of expecting that Blade Runner would really kind of hold first place for at least a couple of weeks, and it's um, I think it's going to be shocking people. But here's hoping that it uh, that it does find more of an audience. Did you say it is still performing? Yeah, it's not like top of the box office anymore, but I mean, it's no. it still is, you know, for a horror movie that opened uh, a month ago, it's still doing really well for itself. And I still haven't seen it. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Uh, all right, gentlemen, let's do trailers. Let's do it. Well, I got the red band Steve rule. Steve found the loophole. I got the red band rule. <laughs> he goes first. Okay. All right. So I watched this trailer like I watch, you know, it's a movie that I didn't know anything about. And those are the trailers I watch because I want to know, is this something I'm going to go see in theaters? And I was just totally impressed with the talent that's in this. So we've got the late Anton Yelchin. This is his last role. We've got Olivia Cook, one of my favorites 
from me and Earl and the Dying Girl and Anya Taylor-Joy from Split. This is Thoroughbreds. This looks like an interesting crime film. Like the tagline is good breeding goes bad. So we've got some some wealthy teens that are getting together with this sketchy guy played by Anton and they're they're going to pluff something and I, I from the little teaser I can't really tell what it is, but clearly they they need guns and an airtight alibi. And this is coming out March 9th, 2018. First time writer-director Corey Finley. But there's just something about this that looks sort of askew and interesting. Yeah, I I think the trailer, I mean, it's definitely a teaser. It doesn't give you a whole lot. It's only a minute. But it there's it's so much fun. You can tell that this is going to be a story of uh, just a real dark humor sensibility. And the the girls look just, they have a great... Um, presence of kind of that that rich uh, sassy I can do what I want including kill people sort of attitude which I think is just it's wrong but they do it so well and it's just like oh, seeing Anton Yelchin I'm like oh, there he is poor guy uh, it just made me sad but it's just it reminded me of how much I always enjoy watching him on screen <laughs> so this I, I, I don't get a whole lot of what the story is other than it's kind of I'm guessing it's going to be kind of a, a, a violent dark comedy sort of thing but uh Definitely something that looks like something I'd want to watch. Man, it's cut great. I love some of these shots. The the tennis ball getting shot with the the you know in super super deep uh, you know um, blur in the background. I don't know what's going on back there. Like it's just there there are these just wonderful um, wonderful shots at the in the trailer. If this is if this is a good indicator of the rest of the film, I think it's going to be just really visually interesting. Uh, I love the girls. It looks super dark and. Uh, uh, I I think it's gonna be um, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I I was I, I Yelchin yeah. of course is such a bittersweet um, character on screen. Uh, man, that guy had a lot yes, of promise. And it was a nice connection to our series. So yeah, I love it. When did did you say when it comes out? March twenty eighteen. We got a, we got a little bit of way. It gives something to yeah. you know to look forward to in the spring next year. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Andy. I think you should go because you I, we got a connection there. I do. You're right. Uh, it, so my trailer is man. I you know I knew they were making a film about uh, the New Mutants. I knew that they had talked about doing a uh, um, a, a three parter. I think of a around the new mutants and uh, but i'd heard nothing of the tone that they were and i expected it to be just another x-men movie and this is not just another x-men movie uh director josh boone writers uh joins um, uh, writers uh chris claremont uh and who wrote the comic book with bob mcleod and uh nate lee um who write this horror like uh asylum thriller uh, in the X-Men universe. It looks very much like a uh, almost a locked uh, locked room horror thriller. Uh, it, it, it looks really haunting. They've got all these young kids uh, who are being tested and poked and prodded, and we start to see some of their, um, you know, some little snip, just quick, quick clips of their uh, powers as they're coming into their own. But it's really painting a picture of um, new mutants as a, a danger to themselves and humanity, and that's why they're locked up in this crazy place. Stars Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones, which is fantastic. It's another Game of Thrones crossover to the X-Men universe, uh, which is great. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is playing Magic, or Ilyana Rasputin, um, who is the—she um, was the younger sister— 
of Colossus in the uh, X-Men lore. We also have um, uh, Charlie Heaton is in there as Cannonball. Alice Braga is uh, Dr. Cecilia Reyes. All these characters are, are, you know, for fans of the comic, they're... This this is their on screen persona and, and they look great so I'm I'm actually weirdly excited about this one I think it's going to be a lot of fun I, it at least it gives us something decidedly new uh, in the X Men universe and we we kind of need that What'd you guys think I think it's very exciting to see uh, I mean we talked about this a little bit when we talked about uh, Captain America uh, the Winter Soldier how there are so many comic book movies now that it's nice that we're getting. Um, them in different genres and here we get kind of this this um, this comic book superhero movie in a horror genre and it really got me kind of excited i i don't really know anything about the new mutants but from my understanding kind of the 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 drawing style within the comics is a little sketchier sort of look and it kind of definitely has this darker tone and um just seeing that they really brought this to life here um, in this trailer, I, I, at least I'm just like, wow, this, this looks like a different take on, uh, the Marvel superheroes. And, and I'm kind of excited about this one. I, I it makes me wonder, um, if they're going the R route or if it's going to end up being a PG 13 sort of thing. I don't know if they've, um, uh, released that, but as, uh, I, I do think it's, uh, telling that they are releasing it on our next Friday the 13th. So I'm really interested in this because of, you know, sort of moving into a different genre. But what really surprised me was that it's directed by Josh Boone. Yeah. Who did Fault in Our Stars, which is, you know, completely different tone. But yeah, because I looked at this not, okay, they found somebody that sort of works in that horror genre to, you know, to pull this off. But now I'm really interested because I think he's done a great job of, you know, capturing that feel. But knowing, you know, with like Fault in Our Stars, that ability to really tell a story focused on character. So I'm really intrigued by this to see in terms of, you know, the thrills of a sort of scary horror movie, but also, you know, Marvel's ability to balance genres and and give us something that's going to be a lot about the characters themselves and not just this is five teens sort of stuck in this asylum. We're bringing in the whole mutant aspect, and I'm really interested to see how they grow this story uh, in terms of that tie into the rest of the, the Marvel universe. Word is, Steve, that even uh, Scott Neustadter, who, who co-wrote Fault in Our Stars uh, with Michael Weber, is actually, um, you know, uncredited oh, okay. on the screenplay for, for this film. So the, the Fault in Our Stars, oh. the, the stars are aligned, let's say, around the Fault. So this is going to be uh, actually, uh, everybody's going to be wearing oxygen <laughs> takes through the entire <laughs> that's all we know <laughs> that's all we know it's funny this is like this is like uh, a reverse of split instead of um you know a, a group of <laughs> of young kids being held by a mutant this is a group of mutants a group of mutants <laughs> in a, by a i guess not by a young kid but still a group of young kid mutants that's being held very good in a basement this one uh, you mentioned that our next Friday the thirteenth that would be April thirteenth two thousand eighteen so we've got a little little bit of time but um, but looks good on the way excellent Andy uh, my trailer is Roman J Israel E S Q it is uh, Dan Gilroy's new film and uh, starring Denzel Washington and Colin Farrell and Carmen Ijogo the um, uh, I almost am instantly drawn to 
uh, any project that the Gilroys are involved in. I just find their their storytelling so interesting and exciting, and they 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 delve into uh, like kind of emotional conflict and turmoil in really interesting ways. I, I think Nightcrawler was one of the great films of the last uh, few years that somehow just didn't get the recognition that it deserved. It's just such a, an amazing film. And uh, Dan Gilroy uh, writing and directing again with this one with Denzel at the helm. I mean, it just looks it looks fascinating. This this one is a story about a uh, a liberal lawyer who's um, uh, just reading kind of from the the Wikipedia thing. A liberal lawyer named Roman J. Israel has been fighting the good fight while others take the credit. When his partner, the firm's front man, has a heart attack, Israel suddenly takes on that role. He finds out some unsettling things about what the crusading law firm has done that run afoul of his values of helping the poor and dispossessed, and he finds himself in an existential crisis that leads to extreme action. That sounds a lot like the sort of things that Dan Gilroy likes to play with, these things where people run afoul of situations and and criminals, and there's a lot of uh, turmoil that ends up happening and, and people falling into dark uh, areas of the world. I find it really fascinating, and, and Denzel just looks fantastic in this. I think that he brings a lot to the table, and... Uh, you know, him opposite Colin Farrell, I think, I don't know, I think it's just going to be a really exciting film to just see. I hope that this is one of those movies that, um, you know, kind of connecting back to the uh, Miss Sloan conversation that uh, that uh, Stephen J.J. just had. I hope that this is one of those movies that doesn't kind of fall by the wayside and disappear because people have a hard time classifying it and may not end up going because they're not really sure what to make of it. But uh, I certainly hope that it does find its audience. And I hope this trailer gets them in the theaters. What do you guys think of this one? Oh, yeah. You, you know, I mean, you pegged it right away with, you know, the connection to Miss Sloan. I, I look at this and then uh, like Michael Clayton as well of these, you know, films that center on a character. And it's it's a really, you know, f- focused on the character and some sort of crisis or, you know, mystery around them that we're going to go on this journey and it is hard to market a film like that because you don't have those big trailer moments of like the big action sequence of the big laugh and it's, but it's so much about the performance. And as soon as I started watching this, I thought, Oh, this is, this is one of these, you know, Denzel centerpieces, but then to see Colin Farrell in there and as the trailer plays out to see that we've got this dynamic between those two, I'm really interested in seeing this it wasn't something that was on my radar but after this trailer it's definitely something i'm prioritizing for november because this is one that i want to make sure i get out to see i loved nightcrawler so i'm really uh excited to see what dan gilroy is doing doing with this one and and you brought up you brought up michael clayton i just have to say another gilroy brother tony gilroy (laughs) you know anytime uh denzel plays an attorney uh any kind of attorney (laughs) I mean, it's weirdly, I think he's he's so good uh, in these these legal things. It just makes me, you know, think about Philadelphia again. You know, it's just uh, I how much I I ended up loving that movie too. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, and and but it's it's funny because I start thinking about like you know trying to classify Denzel and and it it is damn near impossible to do. He's done 
everything. He's done sports movies. He's done revenge movies. He's done legal movies. He's done, for crying out loud, he did the, what was the Unstoppable Train remake? Uh, unstoppable. It was unstoppable, right? The tra- <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that that was the name and then used the name in a sentence. That happened. Shut up. Nobody asked you guys. <laughs> Uh, he's done. He's done everything, and and uh, it, it's tough not to not to get excited about Denzel on stage or on screen. He's just fantastic. So I'm I'm a big fan. Well, this is going to be opening uh, next month, November 10th. So put it on your calendars, uh, and I bet this will be something that we'll be hearing more about. I, I'd like to think. I'd like to think this is something we'll be hearing more about when it comes time for Oscar nominations. Here's hoping. All right, gentlemen, it's time for the list. Andy, what did we come up with last week? Well, considering we started the reboots with J.J. Uh, Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, our first uh, decision was really kind of, hey, you know what, let's do something about um, uh, movies where characters end up getting played by by new actors. And so uh, that's kind of our list, right? I know I know you have a, m- a more specific written out version of it, but... I, you know, I don't. And I, this is, that was enough. That was enough. But I just want to clarify because I think, I, I hope I didn't break any rules. Does it have to be a part of a series? Did we say that it had to be a part of a series? No. I don't think so. Okay. So it's just a, as long as the character is the same. Yeah. We're okay. And I was a little torn. Like, as I was going through, I'm like, gosh, does a remake count? And I wasn't sure a remake really counted, but I, I wasn't going to discount it if somebody brought it up because we didn't really talk about that. But I assure you, Andy. Somebody did. <laughs> all right. Twice. As I understand, the underlying rule on all of these is films that have not been discussed on the next reel before. That's what I I don't I don't think it's been specified as a flat out rule, but it's certainly a challenge that that we try to live up to because there were a good number. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, that and and who know who knows. <laughs> Who knows if I made that? I actually, now I look at my list, I, I'm trying to think, did we, I have to go to the site and search. Did we actually talk about this movie? <laughs> It's getting to that point. I, I can't remember. Uh, okay, so, you know, in I, I just want to be uh, clear that I, I, I do have a little bit of grace in my heart. Steve already had the red band uh, rule. <laughs> I'm, I want to relax my rule on this particular list and say, Steve, would you please go first? Oh, you're going to regret that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to say the the challenge that I found myself with, because at first I thought, oh my gosh, this is impossible. But then I, I guess, is it limited to fictional characters or is it historical characters can be included as well? Because we've got you know, a lot of important historical figures that have been characters in films, you know, you know, over time. So I, I was trying to, to balance that out. And in the middle of the night last night, I, I realized here's what I had completely overlooked and i'm so i'm going to start off with harrison ford as jack ryan oh because that one off my list that was (laughs) yep (laughs) now there have been other actors that played jack ryan since then but harrison ford is the jack ryan and really stole that role you know from what had been established by alec baldwin in the hunt for red october and i think you know that was an important shift for that franchise to move from Alec Baldwin to Harrison Ford. And I think it really cemented that as a potential franchise that has struggled to find its footing with other actors since then. So for me, it is, you know, Harrison Ford is Jack Ryan. 
Is there a particular movie that stands out as the defining Harrison Ford one? To me, it's clear and present danger. These cartels represent a clear and present danger to the security of the United States of America. How dare you come in here and bark at me like a junkyard dog? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we all uh, probably just crossed that yeah, one. Yeah, that'd be the one. <laughs> well done, Jens. That was really, that was exceptional. Solid exceptional. Choice. All right, Pete, you're up. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, this is. Uh, I, I started going through the list and realized here's one that I am a huge fan of. I'm a huge fan of the entire scope of this set of comedies, be it screen or screen or even stage, uh, and that is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I'm a huge fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I laugh every time I see it. The musical is really funny. Uh, the film is terrific, and. Uh, the original film is also terrific. Uh, it, it was called not Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It was called Bedtime Story in 1964. The character is, of course, Freddie Benson, uh, who was originally played by Marlon Brando in the original, opposite David Niven. Uh, and uh, uh, it was Steve Martin who rebooted that particular character in the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Michael Caine in 1988. Uh, it's funny. Uh, every time I watch it, it does fall within the IMDb star rule, the original film, which at 6.8. So it's over 6.5, which means there's a really good chance you're going to like it, too. So if you haven't seen the original Bedtime Story, uh, it's really worth seeing. Uh, and you should watch them back to back to see how Brando and Steve Martin handle the character of Freddie Benson. I didn't even realize that that was a remake. I think that's crazy. Yeah, and now I it's really crazy. Want to watch totally, especially since Marlon Brando's in it. That just uh, Marlon Brando and David Niven sound like the most odd pair. That's a. It is a totally odd pair. And you watch this movie and you think, why is does this not have more of an institutional memory? You know, like we should we should know of this movie. I, why did it just disappear? Uh, so totally worth it. There you go. That's my yeah. number three. Pick. I, all right. Yeah, that's on my list of shame. I I hang my head low. I have. Still never seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It's one of those. What? I know. It's just like, yeah, I'll get around to it. And oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. That's just, there's so many great lines in that film. The movie is just so funny. So good. It really is. All right. Well, my uh, my first pick here, guys, is a, a fantastic, fantastic comic book movie that I wasn't really expecting like uh, to like at all because... I found the first one that they made of this particular character in the 90s just to be atrocious. And I was like, oh, this is just, there's no way that they're going to do this well. And then I kept hearing about how they did such an amazing job with it and everything. I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. And I absolutely loved it. And it is, of course, the 2012 film Dread that Pete Travis uh, directed with uh, the fantastic Carl Urban, our uh, current McCoy. Um, at playing the uh, titular Judge Dredd. And the way that uh, that he plays this character is just so awesome. And the fact that he never takes his helmet off is great. It's just like everything they did with this character. It made me more interested in the Judge Dredd property. I haven't pursued that, but I still found it a much more interesting kind of sci-fi future world that they created here. And I just love this story. I love that idea of them kind of going into this tower and essentially kind of getting locked into it all out of the raid. But I think they they do just a fantastic job of, of giving us this story and with a fantastic uh, villain played by Lena Headey. So uh, that's that's my pick for my number three is Dread. I knew you were going to pick that. That was on my that was on my other list. The list of Andy's going to pick that. So don't pick that. <laughs> you don't just do. No, that's good. That's a good pick. Yeah, I didn't know that had such a high place for uh, for Andy. It's one that I enjoyed. It was an interesting take on 
sort of, I guess, sort of rebooting the, the, the character. And I think they came up with a really unique and interesting story. And it's one of those that I thought had an interesting start and had hoped that they were going to do more with that and haven't heard anything. But I think it was an interesting take on the character. And I hope we can see more. Yeah, I don't know if it did uh, that well at the box office. I don't know if we're going to get another one, but which is a shame. All right, Steve, what's your next one? <sighs> okay, so I'm, I'm looking at my list, trying to figure, all right, back in the early 80s and cable TV, I discovered as a young, nerdy Dungeons and Dragons playing teenager, a movie that just blew my mind, and that is Excalibur. And so I'm going with Merlin because... Nicole Williamson's portrayal of Merlin was one that just really stuck with me from the first moment I saw that film. To me, he was almost like it was his story. And it just the, the comedy that he brings to that is just something that seems out of place in a sort of medieval uh, action adventure story. But it was just such a thrilling portrayal. And there have been lots of other Merlins and Merlin the Magician. There's all kinds of takes on him. But for me, he will always be Merlin. That's funny. That's one that I, I watched later in life. I came to that one, I don't know, probably in the last couple of years. And it just, it was a film. Where I was like, oh, why do people love this so much? It didn't, it didn't hit me well. So I, I need to go back and revisit that one because I think enough people love it where it deserves another look. Oh, it's just, for me, it's now interesting to watch again and look at everyone who is in that movie. Yeah, that's pretty that, interesting. That I didn't know is like a 12 or 13 year old, but now there's familiar faces because you've got like Patrick Stewart is in there and a really young Gabriel Byrne and Helen Mirren in there. And it's, I, I think, yeah, there are parts of it that haven't aged well, but I think story-wise, yeah, give it another shot. I don't remember oh that gosh. movie at all. Not even a little bit. It's like the King Arthur movie that, from the 80s. I'm sure I saw it. I had it was, to have seen it. There, there was the, <laughs> what sort of bore hasn't it seen It was Excalibur? interesting because the other thing was there was the PG version and then the R version that was air on HBO. So there are like two versions. And I, I, I don't know now which one was the original. If it was, uh, I think it was probably originally rated R. And then, you know, hey, kids will want to see this. And they cut out a whole bunch of, of stuff, I think, for, for cable for kids or probably, something like that. Yeah. I just remember wow. being incredibly gritty. Yeah. Like it was, it was so much grittier than I was used to for like, uh, you know, King Arthur sorts of stories. It's definitely not the uh, Disney oh, version. Heck no! It's yeah. a, it's very much. Uh, I mean, it's very much a John Borman yes. film. Man, John Borman came off right off of Exorcist Two for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Zardoz. <laughs> no, that's a great. That's a great pick. Uh, okay, so my number two pick. Uh, this is another one that I'm a big fan of on stage or screen or screen, and that is Juror Number Eight, Twelve Angry Men. Mm. In the original 1957, this role was played by Henry Fonda. He was absolutely terrific in 1997. Jack Lemmon uh, played the same role, uh, and and actually every one of the jurors, the unnamed jurors in this film, are fantastic to watch. But for me, uh, obviously, the, the juror number eight, that that sort of um, linchpin. Uh, role is uh, just amazing, uh, and uh, both of them were at, at the very top of their games, and I know that they both uh, personally, as actors, deeply love the material, and you can just feel it uh, as they uh, as they wind their way through this these films. You've seen both of them, right? No, I've just seen the Henry. Yeah, I've, I've not, seen the Henry Fonda yeah. one, and then I've seen the Inside Amy Schumer Twelve Angry Men, which to me is is a piece of genius. <laughs> Down to the casting. 
is just brilliant. If you have you seen that, Pete? No, and, uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I believe me. I get it, and I'm sure I would love it. But, <laughs> but no, no, no. I, you, you need to see it. if you if you love Twelve Angry Men, you have to see the Amy Schumer Twelve Angry Men because they're they're debating whether or not she's really hot or not. <laughs> but the way it's shot, the casting, everything, it is a work of pure genius. You're gonna either you're either gonna completely hate it because you feel it's uh, disrespectful to the original, or you're gonna appreciate the brilliance. And what I feel is the respectful way it treats the original and, and makes a parody of it. Well, I, I have great respect for Amy Schumer. Even at her bawdiest, she is respectful of, of you know, her role as a comedian. And I think she's I think she's a fantastic talent. Uh, so I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'll be in favor of this. I'm I'm pre in favor. of it. <laughs> yeah, I've only seen the original. I haven't even seen the Amy Schumer one, but uh, I, I really do love the original. I, I have it at home. It's just a fantastic Fantastic storytelling. Um, I, I miss the Jack Ryan one. Uh, Jack Ryan. <laughs> Jack Lemon one. That's a totally different version with Jack Ryan. <laughs> but Harrison Ford is great in it. It's turn number eight. No, but it's. Uh, I'll have to check the Jack Lemon one out because I've always loved him. All right. So for my uh, second pick, gents, I'm going with the fantastic, fantastic Oscar-winning film from 1991, The Silence of the Lambs. We have the uh, continuation of the story. This time it's with uh, Clarice Starling, the FBI trainee, trying to uh, solve a crime. But she does have to go and talk to Hannibal Lecter, still in prison, and try to figure out uh, what's going on with his assistance. This is, of course, Anthony Hopkins, kind of, I would say, one of his most defining roles. Um, I, I think that what he brought to the table as Lecter is just brilliant. Some people do argue that uh, that Brian Cox had uh, a, a different take on Lecter in Manhunter, uh, Michael Mann's film from uh, from 86 that um, they still prefer over uh, over Hopkins. Um, and I while I really love the film Manhunter, I think it's just a fantastic film. Anthony Hopkins for me will always be um, Hannibal Lecter. I think that he just so defined that role and just creeped the hell out of everybody. So that's my number two pick. That's a great pick. Uh, I can't believe I didn't think of it. In fact, that is that's uh absolutely terrific uh and and for me yeah i mean i brian cox is is great but i and he would have been terrific had they managed to put him in these films but uh, i i can't imagine it, it makes me want to see um you know it, just even more lector stories with hopkins in them absolutely just bring him every single one you know, it, for me, it was an interesting discovery when, you know, seeing, I, I worked at a video store in high school, had heard great things about Manhunter, had never seen it. Silence of the Lambs came out, loved that film. And everybody's like, you know, there is this other Hannibal Lecter movie out there that's really good and really overlooked. Still have never gotten around to see it because I feel that really Anthony Hopkins just nailed that role so much. And I know there have been, you know, there's the TV series in this, but I think, again, it's, that perfect pairing of an actor with a role that really defines it. Well, definitely go check out Manhunter. I, did you see Red Dragon? No, oh, was that the Ed Norton? Yeah, that was. It was. It was basically a okay. remake of Manhunter, of but Manhunter. this time with Anthony Hopkins playing the Lecter role and really boosted up. the The thing with Manhunter is Lecter's part is fairly small. It's definitely not the focus of the story. It just happens to tie in just in a few little parts, and it works nicely the way that they do it. But really, the focus of the story is on is on Will Graham 
um, as he's trying to track down Francis Dollarhide. So um, it's a, but it's it's a Michael Mann film from the eighties. You gotta you know gotta check it out. Yeah. Okay. Wait, Andy's telling me to go watch a Michael Mann film. <laughs> <laughs> is it collateral? Okay. Oh, all right, Steve. What's your third and final pick? Okay. I'm so torn because I uh, there's so many good ones on my list that it's it's hard to narrow it down. And I I I could take the easy out or I could take the challenging one. I'll I'll take the I'll take the controversial one. And I'm going to go with 2010 Jeff Bridges as Rooster Cogburn. I know this sort of gets into the remake thing, but to me. I think you've got two iconic characters. I think Jeff Bridges really, you know, reinvented this character for a new generation and, you know, the Coen brothers, true, true grit. So I, it was one of those uh, for me, def, you know, how does Jeff, how does Jeff Bridges fit into this? And to me, he really transformed himself from the dude into the rooster. And this one, I just had a, a great time with it. Uh, I did not grow up watching a lot of John Wayne films. I'm not a huge John Wayne fan. I have seen the original True Grit and enjoy it. But I think to me, Jeff Bridges' performance in this one really, you know, sets them apart. Yeah, that was on my list. If I was going to go uh, with a remake, I, I, I really enjoyed that film. And you're right. I mean, Jeff Bridges was brilliant in that role. I adored that movie. I, I think it was great, not not least of which for uh, Jeff Bridges' portrayal of Rooster Cogburn, but uh, Cogburn, but uh, uh, Haley Steinfeld's portrayal of Maddie Ross was she's she was unreal oh, yeah. in in this movie. I mean, to my eye, she was she yeah, was what a find, the, yeah, uh, incredible find for this movie. So, uh, but everybody in this was at the top of their game, and and Jeff Bridges was was uh, he well he was great. He wasn't the dude, and that's the reason to see it. <laughs> dude slam <laughs> man oh i forgot about you and your <laughs> that's right that's right as i recall when we talked about that you liked it more than you i remember. liked it more than i remember it but so i'm gonna hold that now it's become much more fun to be the guy who really doesn't like it <laughs> it's, it's everybody it's a badge movie this is what we were talking about it's a movie that i am proud uh. to say i don't like makes everybody crazy you know, i'm gonna have to <laughs> You, you between you and Ben lot, I swear your your badge movies. You're just you're out to get me. I'm like what? you're poking the bear. You're asking for it. Sometimes you know the bear eats you. Sometimes you eat the bear. It will have been worth it. <laughs> All right, is it my turn? It's your turn. Uh, you know I can't believe it. We've done six George Clooney movies on uh, the show over the years, and we've never done Ocean's Eleven. That's right. You believe that? I, I can. I love oceans. I love the oceans <laughs> movies, and this is uh, this is. I am loud and proud on these movies. Danny Ocean, uh, Frank Sinatra played the original Danny Ocean, uh, but the the remake slash reboot uh, gave us a series of oceans movies, and I love every one of them. Suck it, losers! I think they're fantastic. And uh, uh, Danny Ocean is charismatic and charming, and uh, he makes me want to be a ne'er-do-well ex-con in Las Vegas. He is an aspirational character for me, uh, and uh, uh, I'd hang out with Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's time for that career yeah, change. Yeah, right? That's, that's all me. So I'm very excited <laughs> yeah. about Ocean's Eleven, and I'm thrilled to say that I got there first, because I know, Andy, these were going to be high on your list, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know that, do you? Oh, that's I, Pete, I'm there with you. I will gladly celebrate all three of these movies. 
Unfortunately, I don't think you'll ever be Danny Ocean unless you've got Steven, Sp- uh, Steven Soderbergh speaking into your delivering you some of the sharpest, wittiest dialogue written. True. And this that Danny has. It's but just, you know what? I would deal with that. If I have to live with a bug in my ear to have Soderbergh, <laughs> as long as he would commit to doing his part, I would do mine. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I've never really loved these films. I have fun with them. But oh, I also gosh. feel like they're in, in my world. They're kind of you know they're fluff Soderbergh, and I watch them and I go, oh, that was fun, and then I don't have to watch it again. Although weirdly, I'm yeah, the guy no, who totally right. uh, did find Ocean's Twelve the most enjoyable of the three. Oh no! So yes, a lot of people don't like that. Listen to if you get a hold of the you know commentary to listen to because it's really interesting to hear Soderbergh talk about how he shoots those movies, particularly Ocean's 12, because so much, there's such a large cast and some of those where they're all together in one room. And he talks about how he, he lets the guys just sort of find their spot. They've done this before. They've worked together. They all find their spot. And then his challenge that he has for himself is he's shooting that just as, as they're going, but he never goes and repeats a shot. So you're not going to see like a camera set down in one place and he's going to keep cutting back to that angle. He is always moving around, finding new angles and ways to shoot them as they're having that conversation all around the room. Really interesting insight. Which which I think as a filmmaker could only be done if he was also shooting and editing it, which he is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is a celebration of like, I, I mean, these things are incredibly complex cuts and he is, is, has an enormous, uh, like beautiful opinionated eye in terms of how he cuts and paces these things. And it makes it really fun. So I, I hereby tell all my clients, yes, many of the uh, filmic product that I have created for you was very much inspired by Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's <laughs> Eleven. You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your last one, Andy? My last one. I, you know, I, there are some fantastic franchises that have um, repeated characters. And I was trying to find one that I really enjoyed. And of all the ones that I ended up going with, I, I focused in on Batman. And I was looking at all the varieties of Batmans that have been out there. And I think there have been nine of them now. Um, and the one that I'm going with, though, is uh, possibly my favorite because it just it it was the perfect version of Batman that I think that I had been waiting for. And that is Will Arnett playing Lego Batman Um, and specifically focusing on, we were introduced to him in the Lego movie, but specifically focusing on the Lego Batman movie because of the brilliant way that the filmmakers brought in every iteration of Batman into this story. I mean, we, we go all the way back to uh, Adam West and we see, we see like every version of Batman as he's remembering his past and everything. And it's just like the perfect way to to spoof Batman while also really paying homage to this fantastic character. I had so much fun with it, and I still love Will Arnett as Batman. Uh, anytime he kind of pops up uh, in it, I just think it's hilarious. So that's my final pick, the Lego Batman movie. I had a hard time with that movie. Uh, and, and I'm saying I love it, and everything that you've just said is fantastic. It's great. But I had a hard time just adjusting to that movie because I expected it to have... Uh, the same sort of weird twist of heart that the Lego movie hmm. had, which which is, you know, obviously it's sort of impossible to just kind of recreate that experience of first time viewing of the Lego movie. But I, I thought that the, the final 15 minutes of the Lego movie was transcendent really was, yeah. 
after such a goofy first, you know, three quarters of the movie. It was just amazing. And the Lego Batman movie was, it was just the Lego yeah, Batman right. movie. And the other Lego movies are the Lego movies, and they just haven't been able to recreate that experience for me. No, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to get back to a, a Lego movie type of experience like that. But for what they did here, I th- I really just loved the way they, they brought yeah. Batman in and just welcomed all of them. It was surprisingly yeah. thoughtful. Did yeah. you see that one, Steve? Steve? See, I, no, I have not seen the Lego Batman movie, but I, I, I liked that take on Batman in the Lego movie. And because I'm a gaming nerd, have the Lego Dimensions game on our Xbox One, and there's a great... The first part of that story is set in the uh, land of Oz. So it's hilarious when uh, Scarecrow shows up and Batman's freaking out because Scarecrow's there. <laughs> that was just brilliant. That is so yeah, funny. You're right. Game. I had totally forgotten that. So I, it's one that, as my kids are older, it's not such a high priority that they're itching to see Lego Batman, but I really enjoy what they did with him in the Lego movie. And it, it's on my list to, to get around to. So I'll take your recommendation and. And uh, have a laugh with some some lighthearted Lego Batman, as opposed to the the dark and brooding Batman that we've had over the past. If you're if you're years. a fan of of Batman, it's definitely worth checking out because I mean they even yeah. they even continue his his feud that he had with Batman uh, or with Superman in Batman versus Superman. Uh, they continue that feud <laughs> oh, okay. in this film, and he goes to he goes to talk to Superman up at uh, the Fortress of Solitude, and Superman's having a party with all the other superheroes, but didn't invite Batman. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's like it's just brilliant. They did such a great job with it. Yeah, it is really funny. You're right. <laughs> Uh, there's our list. What a great list. We put the list in the show notes. You can swipe over on your mobile device and you will see uh, all of our movies and um, uh, you'll be able to jump to the trailers of the reboots that we like the best. Uh, what are we going to do for this coming week? Andy, have you put any thoughts to it? I haven't. Um, that's a good question. We've got uh, uh, a rebirth of Khan uh, reprising his role. We have some uh, nonsensical uh, sci-fi technology that is uh, developed further. Um. <laughs> I'm sensing a little bit of prejudging. Who me? No, we haven't talked <laughs> about it yet, and I'm sensing a little bit of prejudging. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, let's see. What should we do? Um, uh, sequels. Uh... Sequels? Sequel, sequel remakes? No, <laughs> no. Andy, I, I expect many more rules I know, I than know. that. Terrible. I, I, I feel like there is something in buried in your um, extravagant use of sci- sci-fi technology to further the plot. <laughs> we should do something with that's uh, not it, with but I feel people like that's with uh, uh, super strength or something. Like what? Because what is what is Khan? He's a uh, he's, they're genetically engineered. Genetically engineered. He's genetically engineered. We do yeah. genetic yeah. engineering? I don't know. That's falling flat for me. I mean, the core of the whole thing is the whole Kirk Khan sort of like nemesis revenge plot. I don't know if there's something in there because that's what really makes that story. You know, not from, from the original. Not in this one. The, there's not the. Uh, is there not the revenge no. in this one? Well, no. Well, it's, I guess it's not revenge against Kirk. It's revenge against Starfleet. Yeah. It's Khan's revenge. revenge. Yeah. I I don't know. I feel like the I feel like we're 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 getting somewhere in the either nonsensical use of technology to further the yeah. plot or revenge, um, evil duo revenge plots. I think it's gonna. I think uh, I think the nonsensical. 
of, of ridiculous technology as a as a plot solver or to you know plug a hole i think that's more interesting list because i think the revenge thing it just we're going to probably come up against that again later on with something else whereas we're sort of in the sci-fi thing and we you know may not get around to sci-fi again in a while so i'd prefer to go that way it's it's a definitely more challenging list to put together (laughs) i think so too nonsensical use of technology to fill a hole in the plot that's what it is i guess that's what we're doing okay good luck gents good luck gents All right. Uh, well, this will be uh, this will be a lot of fun. As ever, uh, thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to the show. Because if you're doing that, you're probably, most likely, please, please, pretty please, a, a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash the next reel. We sure appreciate you letting us do this uh, and supporting us as we get together uh, early Saturday mornings to uh, jaw about movies. Um, thank you, Steve and Andy. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Good morning. reclamation that was good that was good (laughs) talk to you guys later you know what i got the other day pete stephen king's latest want to borrow it do you know who you're talking to what do you mean andy when's the last time i read a paper book it's been decades i would much rather use kindle or better yet audible what am i thinking i don't read paper books anymore either i'm an audiobook guy all the way For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we discussed on the Next Reel's family of podcasts, get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. There are so many great adaptations from these podcasts available in audio form. Stephen JJ talked about a lot of great ones like Odd Thomas. Isn't that series a favorite of yours? I love me some Dean Koontz. They also covered The Two Faces of January based on Patricia Highsmith's novel. I bet the book is far better than that movie. Oof. How about the Futurological Congress by Stanislaw Lem? That was the source for that quirky Robin Wright movie, The Congress. Crazy book. Definitely worth checking out. They also covered Lean on Pete, Leave No Trace, Aniara, Papillon, The Goldfinch, The Yellow Birds, and If Beale Street Could Talk. So many great adaptations covered in so many great conversations, not just on Trailer Rewind, but all of the Next Reels family of podcasts. And you can get all of these as audiobooks on Audible, along with thousands of other great reads. Producing these podcasts is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. So, we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support the Next Reels family of podcasts. I've been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I've read hundreds of books through it. Couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out. And you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free trial and get your first free audiobook at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Audible.